I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to be talking in this last message of 2020 on crossing over into victory. And uh, this is my last message before I take a medical sabbatical for three months. So uh, you'll get to hear uh, Stephen Kendrick next week, Kevin Ezell, President North American Mission Board on the 10th. Tim Williams, who's an evangelist, who's a member of our church, great evangelist, great man of God, who's going to be preaching on the 17th. And then for about four or five weeks in a row, you'll hear Tom Elliff. Uh, he'll be with us. He's helping us with the vision planning team with all that's going on there. And uh, he will be with us for multiple weeks in a row. Then Charles Lowry, then Tom again, and then... Uh, Last one before I get back is uh, Scott Dawson on Palm Sunday, and so I'll be back on uh, Easter Sunday, and uh, we'll just uh, see what God does through these men, and I pray that you listen attentively. I've asked these men to come with a word from the Lord, what he needs to say through them to us, and that you would be faithful in your attendance and your giving and in all that you do as we prepare for what 2021 has for us. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which has been given to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which your Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Verse 10, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp, and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days you are to cross this Jordan, to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, to possess it. I don't know about you, but 2020 cannot be gone quick enough. Uh, in fact, uh, Charles Lowry and I confirm every time we talk, and we talk three or four times a week, that we're going to stay up past midnight on New Year's Eve to make sure 2020 is actually over. <laughs> and in fact, we're going to follow the time zones. Uh, we may follow the time zones all the way around the world. Uh, just to make sure it doesn't stop somewhere. We want 2020 to be over and in the rearview mirror. This has been a tough year. It's been a year of confusion, of fear, 
of doubt, of unrest, of uncertainty, of frustration, of polarization. It's been a year of crisis. And we walk into 2021 wondering if it will be any different. But I want to give us hope today that if we do what God says, God has a plan and a purpose for us. He has something he wants to do with us, the body of Christ known as Sherwood Baptist Church. This pandemic has leveled us far more than we would have anticipated. Things that we took for granted, going out to eat, having all our family together at Christmas, things that were normal, standing out and talking to people in our yards. Uh, those things have been taken away from us. So it's been a different kind of a year. And while it seems unprecedented, and I've heard that word way too much, I would say it's not unprecedented. I would say, ask the Egyptians if they ever went through any plagues because they didn't obey God. Ask the Egyptians if God, when God said, let my people go, and they said, we're not going to do it, ask them how many plagues they went through. So we are not in unprecedented times. It may be unprecedented for us, but it's not as if none of this has ever happened. So I want to give you several things today. The first is there is much at stake. There is much at stake. And I want to remind you that a pandemic, an election, whether your guy won or not, is not the last word. God has the last word. If you forget that, you're going to have a panic going into 2021. If you don't remember that God's in control and you think that what you can see and touch and feel is going to make you feel better, you're going to lose perspective. There's a lot at stake in your perspective and how you view what is ahead. Chapter 3 and verse 5 then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Two things that I want you to remember. Well, I want you to remember more than that, but here's two. First of all, the best is not behind us. The best is not behind us. Uh, Ron Dunn taught me years ago, that although evil increases in the last days, so does good. The best song has yet to be written, the best sermon has yet to be preached, and the best outpouring of God's Spirit on this world before Jesus comes back has yet to happen. The best is not behind us. We can talk about the good old days all we want to, and the reality is some of the good old days weren't as good as we remember them to be. But the best is not behind us. Secondly, our future is as bright as the promises of God. Our future is as bright as the promises of God. This world does not have the last word. A pandemic doesn't have the last word. Nothing of this earth has the last word except what God says has the last word. 
And so we have to sink our wills to the will of God so that we can take the next step of faith that God wants us to take. All of us have a Jordan that we need to cross. All of us have a day that we need to win. All of us have a battle that we are in and we need to be overcomers. And this is all conditional. It's conditional on be strong and courageous. It's conditional on meditate on this word of God if you want to be successful. It's conditional on consecrate yourselves. You see, we cannot experience God's best if we are not strong and courageous in him. If we are not focused on him, our knees will buckle, our hearts will grow faint, we will lose our grip on ultimate reality if we do not stay strong and courageous. But because they did, the key verse in Joshua is chapter 11 and verse 23. Chapter 11 and verse 23, it's coming on the screen. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. God fulfilled his promises. There's not one promise in God's word that will not ultimately be fulfilled if it has not already been fulfilled. You see, the people of God, like some churches, find themselves in the wilderness of wandering and in bondage because we refuse to believe, because of unbelief. I, I know what God says, but you don't know what I'm going through. I know what God says, but my experience tells me this. Let, let me tell you what unbelief is. Unbelief is a greater danger than bondage because unbelief denies the power of God to fulfill his promises. It's a greater danger than bondage. Unbelief for Israel cost them 40 years in the wilderness because they would not believe what God said. And when we choose to not believe what God says, we end up less than God expects us to be, designed us to be, planned us to be, and empowered us to be. We, we settle for less than what he wants for our lives. The people rejected. Remember, they sent a committee, had 12 people on it. Ten came back with a negative report. Two came back with a positive report. They accepted the majority report and rejected what Joshua and Caleb said. All of them saw the same thing, but ten did not believe. All of them went with an understanding. This land has already been given to us. It's our land it's God's promise. God has a purpose for us in this land. And they got there and said, no, we don't believe God's got a purpose for us. 
We don't believe God can f fulfill his promise. You know, you hang around with the Egyptians long enough and you'll forget the promises of God. And you hang around with negative people long enough and you'll forget the promises of God. You see, they believed the negative report, and so it meant 38 years, a generation passed away, never tasting the fruit of the land, never entering into the rest, never knowing the difference, and this is important, between being delivered out of Egypt and entering the land of promise. You know, you can be saved, delivered out of Egypt, delivered out of bondage, and never get to the spirit-filled life of walking with Christ and spend your entire Christian life wandering in a wilderness of up and down and of defeats and discouragement and despair, wondering why it works for some people and doesn't work for you. You've got to cross Jordan. You have to cross to get on the other side. And that means that you have to choose to do what God says and you have to be ready for the battles that will come there. Unbelief and disobedience cause us to miss God's will. We wander in a wilderness of failure and defeat. And I'll tell you, it would be easy for us after a year like we've had to go into 2021 and go, well... Just not going to get any better. We're going to have to be social distancing until Jesus comes. And I'll bet they're even social distancing in heaven now. I mean, we can mope around and pout and complain. And I can take you to somebody somewhere that has it worse than we do. Or we can say, God's promises are true. God does not lie. He does not change his mind. His promises are true. We can trust an unknown future to God. Amen? Amen. Graham Scroggy, a great preacher of another generation, said what historically was the land of rest spiritually is the life of rest. To the Israelites, the sphere of rest was a place, but to us, it is a person. We're not trying to get to a place. We're trying to embrace the person. The inheritance was their land. Christ is our inheritance. All that Christ has for us is not in a land. It is in a Lord, and he is better than the land. I mean, the Jews got the land, we get the Lord. The Jews got a place to lay down their head, we get a person to rest in, a person to abide in. We stand on the brink of a new year, and we don't know what it holds. You say, well, I've got all these plans for 2021. You had plans for 2020. You don't know what this new year holds. I don't know what this new year holds. But I know this. God is already ahead of us. And those who trust him will find a way to get through. Secondly, there is much about the land that is true of life. There are parallels, as I just mentioned, between the land and the victorious Christian life. So let me just mention about four 
to you about these parallels between the Jews crossing over Jordan and getting the land and us crossing into an understanding of the victorious Christian life and the spirit-filled life. First of all, it is a place of rest. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 9. It is a place of rest. But remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, theirs was a land of rest. Ours is a life of rest. Which means Jesus does not intend for us to run around in a panic, frothing at the mouth, stressing out, anxious about what's going on. When we get that way, we've just got to say, Lord, I'm just going to have to rest in you in this moment. Because if you can't change it, the only person is that can change it is God. So rest in him. Secondly, it is a good land, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 7. And Jesus promised us an abundant life, a good life, an abundant life. It's a good land. Life in Christ is a good life. There's no life like the life in Christ. I mean, I don't know how people go through things that we're going through right now without Christ or without even looking for Christ or examining, is there hope? Is there anybody that has an answer? You would think when doors of churches open, it would be more important to a lost world than restaurants being open because, thank God, I can go somewhere and find somebody that says it can be good. But it's our job to go to them, to tell them that there's a good land. But better that, there's a good life. Thirdly, it's a fruitful land. Deuteronomy 8, verses 8 and 9. Deuteronomy 8, verses 8 and 9. John 15, 5, Jesus talks about the life that bears fruit. By abiding in him, they found fruit. We are to bear fruit fruit. Fourthly, it is a land to be possessed, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3. It is a land to be possessed. Now the great commission was given to us by Jesus when he said, you go and you wait until the Spirit comes and the Spirit is going to come and I'm going to give you all power to take the gospel into the world. Just a few moments ago, Ken talked about where all the Operation Christmas Child is gone. Today, our church planners will be meeting and worshiping all over this country, from Washington to Baltimore to Canada to Israel. That's good news. The pandemic didn't stop that. That's good news. We, we have the power of God to take the gospel to a lost world. Now, I need to remind you, you already know this, but I need to remind you, there are battles in, in Canaan. Canaan is not heaven. You know, there are a lot of bad theology in old, some of the old hymns and gospel songs about, I just want to cross over into Canaan land and I'm just looking over on the other side of the river. No, Canaan was a land of battles. Canaan is not a picture of heaven in the Bible. Canaan is a picture of the life of Christ. And when you come to Christ, 
There are still battles, but you're on the victorious side. But you still have to fight them. You can't be AWOL in the battle. I mean, there's going to be battles in 2021. There's going to, the devil is going to try to come against us. There, there are enemies to be defeated. There are cities to be conquered. And every step forward will be contested by the enemy. You need to understand that. But it doesn't mean we stand on the wrong side of the river wishing God would fight our battles for us. He will fight the battles he is supposed to fight, but he leaves us to fight some battles. The problems are not impossible. The difficulties are not insurmountable. It is a land of opportunity, and I would suggest to you Do not settle for less than God's best for you. The most miserable person in the world to me is not a lost person. The most miserable person in the world is a Christian who knows that it could be different, but does nothing about it. So why did they miss it? Why did these parents and grandparents miss God's best? Why did they all die in the wilderness? Why were there millions of funerals in the wilderness and then they go to a land of victory? Let me just give you some reasons. They will not come up on the screen. They listened to people who lacked faith. They listened to people who lacked faith. You listen to the wrong people, you're going to make the wrong decisions. You know, there's that old saying, Tom Ellick uses it, Jay Strack uses it, I use it, a lot of people use it. You become like the books you read, the places you go, the people you spend time with. I mean, just what you pour into your life is what you become like. You you listen to and talk to and hang around people that lack faith, and you will ultimately end up lacking faith. Secondly, they listen to people who didn't take God at his word. What do they say in the wilderness? Let us return to Egypt. I tell you what, this, this is crazy. I mean, we're out here in this wilderness, and let, let's just go back and let, I tell you, let's just go back and tell Pharaoh we were wrong. Let's go back under bondage. Let's go back to building pyramids. Let's go back to eating garlic and onions. I don't know what knucklehead thought of that. But let's just go back. Listen. You don't go back if you want to go forward. You don't go back if you want to go forward. Thirdly, they forgot the purposes of God. The purposes of God. Deuteronomy 6, 23. He brought us out from there that he might bring us in. God didn't just deliver them out of Egypt and say, Well, you're saved now. You're delivered now. Good luck. Hope all things turn out well. Have a good life. He brought us out to bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. They forgot the purposes of God. They were just halfway through the purposes getting out of Egypt. Number four, they forgot the power of God. I mean, they sit there and they say, there are giants over there. You know, of course, they forgot about the, you know, the fruit of the land. And by the way, that's, that's true about Israel. I mean, if, if you go to Israel, I mean, we've, we've driven by and, and seen trees and, 
you know, I, I thought they were grapefruit. And Terry and I were talking to Yuval one day and said, man, look, those are huge grapefruit trees. He said, Michael, they're oranges. I said, oranges? He said, God does everything big in Israel. They're oranges. And they saw the fruit. I mean, you know, if you'd been eating the same thing for 40 years, wouldn't you want to go fight somebody to get something new? I mean, just, just think if you had to eat the same thing every day, every meal for 40 years, and somebody comes back with fruit and grapes and all this produce of the land and says, we can have it. Now, it's going to be a little bit of a fight, but we can have it. Wouldn't you do that? Nah, you wouldn't do that because some of us can't stay in a line that's got six cars in it in a drive-thru just to get something different. I'm going to go somewhere else. You see, they, they forgot the power of God. God had delivered them out of Egypt. How? Through the plagues, through the blood, and they passed through. He had parted the Red Sea. He had fed them. They didn't have one weapon to their name. And when they left, the Egyptians were standing there at the door to these slaves saying, here, here's all my gold. Here's all my silver. Here's my mom's china. Here's my mom's flatware. Here, here's our silverware. Here, here's it. Y'all need anything else? Here. And they gave them stuff to get them out of the land. And then they got to the land that had no army like the army of Egypt. It had cities that had power, but it had cities that had to be conquered, and they got there and forgot everything God had done for them in the past. Folks, don't forget what God's done for you in the past. Don't forget what he saved you from. Don't forget what he's delivered you from. Don't forget what he has for you in the days to come. They believed a lie. They believed that these giants would mean they would surely be defeated. What the giants meant was they would surely have a God who would give them victory like they had never seen before. They would be fighting against giants, but they were going to win and be victorious because God had already had a promise. Hey, we got to go to battle. Wonder if we're going to win. To the land that I have given you. God did not say to them one time, good luck. Hope it works out. I don't know if you guys are going to make it or not, but do your best to the land that I have given you. But they had to take possession of it. So what does the future hold for us? I pray it doesn't hold panic and worry and stress and that we pass on to the next generation fear and anxiety and uncertainty, but that we have enough stability in our faith that we help our children and our grandchildren and the next generation to walk with their chins up, not their lips out, looking down at the ground. If we don't, we failed. They're going to read us. They're going to watch us. And I can't tell you what the future holds, but I can tell you this. 
hold all things that you think are the best for you loosely. Because when God takes them out of your hand, it's going to hurt. Hold on to the promises of God tightly. Because those will never let you down. Israel's progression into the promised land is a paradigm of how we possess our riches in Christ. It's also an Old Testament picture of spiritual warfare and how we live by faith and by obedience. And can I tell you something? Some of you have let your heritage, your raising, your lack of a blessing from your parents, uh, growing up in a divorced home, growing up in abuse, some of you have let the devil convince you that you cannot really be used by God. And I want to tell you, the Bible is basically full of a book of nobodies that became somebody because someone loved them, and that someone was Jesus Christ. God will use people you don't think he will use. God will use people you do not think he will use. Victory is not determined by consensus of opinion. It is determined by surrender to the will of God. Your victory, my victory, is not determined by a consensus of opinion. It is determined by surrender to the will of God. It is our all on the altar, our hands open on the altar, our yes to God. Now, Lord, I'm saying yes. What's the question? It is our all before God. God has a plan. He never leaves himself without a witness. God has a purpose. It is being open to him and allowing him to lead and for you and I to learn the impact of spiritual leadership going into the next year. J. Oswald Sanders said spiritual leadership is a matter of superior spiritual power. And it can never be self-generated. There is no such thing as a self-made spiritual leader. As a church, we must pray not only to reach the next generation, but we must pray that we make disciples and teach and train a generation of leaders that rise up, and know that the call of God will be hard, but it will be good. We don't need to raise up a bunch of wimps. We need to raise up warriors, men and women who can stand up and do hard things in hard places because church is going to be different in the future. That's okay. It may be that church is going to be different because it drives us to our knees to believe God once and for all that the only hope we have is for revival. For God to step in and sweep across this land and purge this land and place himself in a position in our hearts where we stand with confidence. We must in this hour have an infectious virus of boldness, courage, faith, 
and obedience that we give our children for which there is no cure. I want you to make sure you see this statement. We need to give them an infectious virus for which there is no cure. They simply know they must obey. We need to give them enough of Jesus they never get over it. William Sangster was a Methodist preacher in England during World War II. And he wrote these words during World War II when the Methodist church was waning and on the downtrend and secularism was slipping into the church and a lost clergy was uh, becoming more and more prominent and churches were dying and closing their doors. This is what Sangster wrote. This is the will of God for me. I did not choose it. I sought to escape it, but it has come. Something else has come too. A sense of certainty that God does not want me only for a preacher. He wants me also for a leader, a leader in Methodism. I feel a commissioning to work under God for the revival of this branch of his church. Careless of my own reputation, indifferent of the comments of older and jealous men. I'm 36. If I'm to serve God in this way, I must no longer shrink from the task, but do it. I've examined my heart for ambition. I'm certain it is not there. I hate the criticism I shall evoke and the painful chatter of people. Obscurity, quiet browsing among books, and the service of simple people is my taste. But by the will of God, this is my task. God help me. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to cross over. It's time to take the land. It's time more than ever for this city, this region, to know that there is a God in heaven and there is a Jesus who loves them and that there is a hope in the gospel. And we need to be strong and courageous and do what God has called us to do because if it's ever needed it, this city, this region, this nation needs Jesus and Jesus' people now. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that um, you would stir our hearts to not stand on the banks of Jordan and talk about all the obstacles, but that we would cross over into the life of rest and the life of victory, the life of power, the life of promises, the life of fullness, that you would uh, do something in us and among us regardless of what 2021 holds that will make this coming year
the greatest year we've ever known as a church family, as a body of believers, that we will put our hands to the plow. We will put our all on the altar. And that we will say yes to the promptings of the Holy Spirit to do that which must be done so that the gospel can be furthered around this world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.